Welcome to Counter Melody, the podcast on great singers and great singing. I am your host, Daniel Guntlach, and I am thrilled to share with you my views derived from a lifetime of listening on the opera and classical singers about whom I am most passionate. I hope that when you hear these voices, you might echo me in saying, God, I love her, or God, I love him. Now, without any further ado, I bring you today's episode. Hello to you, my dear Counter Melody listeners. It feels like forever since I've been in front of the mic recording an episode of Counter Melody. Since the last time I recorded, David, my not-boyfriend and I, went to Italy, where we had a lovely time. Uh, We spent my birthday on Capri, and it was really quite memorable and lovely. But I am back, and I'm a little uh, behind on my schedule here. I had planned to bring you the first part of my interview with the delectable Janet Williams, and that is coming, I promise you. I suspect it's going to be in three different parts. There's a lot of editing that I have to do on that because I didn't record on my brand new mic. I thought that I was recording it on the mic and it turned out that I wasn't. So poor Janet was off mic for the entire interview while I'm just blasting away full volume. I've just had to do a lot of technical tweaking so that I don't have to pull her back in to re-record the entire thing because we have such a marvelous interchange and that's something that I can't really really duplicate a second time. Well, I'm sure we could duplicate it the second time around. The point is, I don't want to impose on her. She was already the perfect guest. Do come back next week and join me for the first part of the interview with Janet. Now, I've had such a positive response to the episode that I did on Jessie and her forebears for last week that I have decided that actually, since Janet is in fact also a very distinguished African-American singer, that I decided that I would do a bit of a mini-series here. So I think that I'm going to intersperse the weeks of our interview with further episodes on other great African-American singers. recognize that magnificent voice that is, in fact, the superb, exceptional, extraordinary Shirley Verrett, one of my most treasured singers, one who I could listen to really practically all day long. And in fact, for the past several days, that's exactly what I have been doing. And I have been having a marvelous time of it, and I am so excited about sharing much of the stuff that I have turned up. This is a recording that she made in 1969 with Eugene Ormandy, the Philadelphia Orchestra, and the men of the Temple University Choir, directed by Robert Page. It is the final section of Brahms's Alto Rhapsody. The Alto Rhapsody, you might ask, but Shirley Verrett 
was a soprano, wasn't she? Or a mezzo. Shirley Verrett could take on nearly any repertoire. She was really quite remarkable in that regard. What is also remarkable is in 1969 just how smooth and beautiful the voice was and how deeply expressive. Also, it's interesting to hear her in German repertoire, because she didn't do all that much of it, although she was a distinguished recitalist, in fact, and I'm going to offer her singing some Schubert further on in the program. We are, in fact, on November 5th, coming up on the ninth anniversary of her death. But one of the wonderful things about Shirley Verrett is that her reputation has, in fact, increased and her legacy continues to be felt since the time of her death and since her retirement from opera, I think. I remember reading very negative reviews of Shirley Verrett while I was growing up. That she had a big hole in the middle of her voice, that uh, she was over-indulgent, that she over-emoted, that she was damaging her voice by singing in a kamikaze manner. I mean, you name it, people attacked her. Well, now we know in retrospect, and this was revealed in her autobiography, which quite honestly, I haven't yet read. I have yet to get a copy of it in my hands, but I do know that in that she speaks about the severe allergy problems that she had and how this impacted much of her singing. But in spite of that, what a wealth of amazing singing that she brought to us in such a wide range of repertoire as one can scarcely fathom. Now, we could talk exclusively about the roles for which she was most celebrated. We could talk about her Lady Macbeth, for instance. We could talk about her Eboli, which is unmatched in the history of opera, I think.
There is a recording, for instance, of her live Eboli from the Wiener Staatsoper. I believe it's in the year 1970, opposite Franco Corelli as Don Carlo, and of all people, <laughs> Gundula Janowitz as the Elisabetta. It's not a perfect fit for her, but what an incendiary Eboli uh, Verette is on this occasion and on so many other occasions. You can find so many different recordings of her doing this. In fact, she is nearly as magnificent in her final Met performances as Eboli in 1986 as she was 16 years earlier in Vienna. <laughs> about her Adzucena, which also was a spectacular assumption, and which she continued to sing brilliantly up until the end of her career. In fact, if you listen to the studio recording of Azucena that she made late in her career, alongside Luciano Pavarotti in his second recorded assumption of the title role, you will find that hers is by far the most effective and consistently successful aspect of that recording. Also, Azucena was the role that she sang in her final Met appearance in 1990. Meanwhile, if you turn to the performances that she gave in 1976 at the Met, we are very lucky in that there is some grainy video footage shot from the house of her in that role in the 1976 performances at the Met. You gotta take a look at that. It will blow your mind, I promise you. so many things that we could talk about, but I think what I'm going to focus on today are some of the roles for which she is less celebrated, but for which she nevertheless made an enormous impact. <laughs> I've just shared three excerpts with you of Verette in two of her most famous roles. The first recording of the Eboli that we heard was in fact the Vienna 1970 performance, and then I cut to the very end of her final Met Eboli from 1986, and followed that with a little clip of the 1976 Trovatore in which she sang an incendiary Azucena. Now, we're going to switch to something a little different. Now, in 1966, she made her debut at Covent Garden singing the role of Ulrika in Ballo in Maschera. 
Eleven years later, she took on the role of Amelia in Ballo, alongside uh, Luciano Pavarotti again, this time at La Scala. I really don't know of any other singer who has ever gone from the assumption of the very definitely mezzo-soprano role of Ulrika to probably one of the definitive Verdi soprano roles, Amelia in Ballo. The performance was not a success. I remember reading press reports how she was booed and that people were enormously disappointed, especially after her iconoclastic Lady Macbeth at La Scala the previous year of which live recordings exist. There's also a marvelous video that you can watch on YouTube. And of course, there is also a commercial recording with Claudio Abado conducting the La Scala forces and Piero Cappuccilli as a superb, superb, superb Macbeth. He was also her Macbeth in the live performances, which I think were also performed when La Scala did a visit to the Kennedy Center. I'm pretty sure that's the case. But I'm talking about the Amelia in Ballo. Supposedly, Verrett was not in good health for these performances. Also, she felt no point of identification with the role of Amelia. And in her autobiography, she stated both of those things. But she also stated that she had recently listened to a recording of the live ballos from La Scala and thought that perhaps she had been too harsh on herself in her assessment. And I have to say, I don't know what people were booing at. I find it thrilling. Now, let me just say about the role of Amelia, the second act aria, I think it is probably the hardest high C that Verdi ever wrote for Soprano because it starts in the sort of lower middle and climbs and then it goes back down again and then it climbs and goes right through the passaggio and then she has to soar up to a high C. It's an enormously difficult phrase to sing and I have to say I think Ferret does it beautifully. Now I'm going to play some of that ballo aria. I think I'll just do the final bit of it because you can also find this, of course, on YouTube, and I suggest if you want to hear the whole thing, by all means, look for it there.
Another role that Verrett took on in the late 70s that was fairly controversial was the title role in Tosca. I saw that telecast and I thought she was fantastic at the time. I did not agree with the reviewers who said all of those nasty things about the hole in the middle of her voice. Frankly, she was in very good shape, I thought, for that Tosca. I don't know how she felt about it. I, as I say, I haven't read the autobiography, but I think it's an absolutely masterful interpretation. The DVD of the performance with Pavarotti and Cornel McNeil as Scarpia is available. You can judge for yourselves. There's also a very interesting performance that I found from 1980 that took place at Tanglewood with Seiji Ozawa conducting. I think Cheryl Milnes is the Scarpia and Veriano Lucchetti is the Cavaradossi. I think Lucchetti is an enormously underrated and undervalued singer. Because the Met performance was a live telecast and because it's readily available, if anybody knows Verrett's Tosca, it's from that performance. I would like to offer you the Visidarte from the performance with Ozawa from Tanglewood in 1980. So here is the Visidarte. Darte. Enjoy.
I want to tell you a little story. Once upon a time, on February 1st, 1982, a photograph of Shirley Verrett and Grace Bumbry flanking Marian Anderson graced the front page of the New York Times above the fold, okay? This is when these figures were so important and vital in the world of music and opera that they could warrant placement, again, above the fold. I, When I saw this yesterday, I simply couldn't believe my eyes, but I do very well remember the concerts. The first concert was in honor of Marian Anderson's 80th birthday and took place the day before that photograph appeared in the New York Times. And Eve Queller conducted the Opera Orchestra of New York and those two magnificent beings sang their hearts out. And what was so wonderful about this in particular is that these two were often pitted against each other. They were two African-American sopranos who had both made a transition to singing soprano repertoire. They really were both falcons, in my opinion, and a falcon, for those of you who don't know what that is. A falcon is, it's a singer who lies in the cracks between mezzo and soprano. A zwischenfach is another thing that they're sometimes called. Christa Ludwig is another such singer who's a zwischenfach uh, singer. But Verrett and Bumbry were both prime examples of that. Such superb artists. There's a marvelous video of the two of them together rehearsing. It's quite clearly staged and it's not at all certain if there isn't a little tension underneath all the enforced playfulness. The whole idea right. of, the, of this, uh, the duo with, with uh, Grace and myself was because we had both been in both repertoires successfully. It's a very unique combination we have here because we both have been stars in, as mezzo singers, and we are stars as soprano singers. And to, for us to be able to sing together on the same stage and not scratch each other's eyes out, first of all, <laughs> is already an, a major achievement. <laughs> Isn't that right, Shirley? I think you're right. Ooh, I think right. You're right. <laughs> Miss Chaster, you know, like <laughs> I get the biggest kick out of this video. I will definitely put it on the notes page so that you can take a look at it. It's really a kick. We've been talking about Shirley singing all of these soprano roles. I would like to now make a certain proposal <laughs> that I always am holding sort of controversial positions, and here is my controversial position. I think that Shirley Verrett was in some ways the supreme Verdi soprano. What do you think of that? In a way, I'm just saying this to play devil's advocate, but it's actually kind of true. One of the aspects of the Verdi soprano is that she has to have a good link to her chest voice. And this is something that at her very best, Shirley has that so many Verdi sopranos actually do not. I'm not going to name any names. I'll leave that to you to make your own judgments about that. But she did have the ability to float high stuff, that's for damn sure. Listen to those D-flats she sings in the sleepwalking scene, for instance. And also in the upcoming Aida scene that I'm about to play for you. Lady Macbeth is, in fact, a Zwischenfach role, often done by mezzos, not as successfully in my opinion. I think you need a soprano in the part, but that's just me. But she also sang Desdemona, for instance, and in this particular outing with Grace Bumbry, she sings Aida. Now, she took that role on a few times, not so many. I believe she sang it for the first time in Boston, possibly in 1981. I think that's right. She also sang the Willow Song and the Ave Maria in the second half of this program with Grace Bumbry. They went on to repeat the program at Covent Garden and in Los Angeles, conducted respectively by Michelangelo Veltri at Covent Garden and Imre Paolo in LA. They may have also done it at a few other venues, I'm not quite sure. I'm just skimming the surface here, folks. This is all me flying by the seat of my pants and flying with my great love of Shirley Ferret. You know, Grace Bumbry was also magnificent, Eboli. She was a superb 
superb Amneris. I think her Amneris really takes the cake. Amneris was not as important a role for Shirley Verrett, but she also did a very creditable uh, Amneris. But Bumbry's is ne plus ultra. Here, in fact, she sings Amneris to Shirley Verrett's Aida, and you can hear just how superbly each of them embodies their respective parts. This, by the way, is the performance from Covent Garden. When this event was presented on a PBS telecast, it was referred to by Arthur Unger in the Christian Science Monitor as the major musical event of the season in any medium. For reasons of time, I'm going to play the juiciest part of the duet, that is when Shirley as Aida begs forgiveness of Amneris for being in love with her man. So here you go.
If someone could explain to me why this has never been released on DVD, I would be most grateful. One of Shirley Verrett's greatest moments at the Met came in the 1973, I believe it was, production of Les Troyens, which was being done for the first time there. Christa Ludwig was slated to sing Didon, and in the first part of the opera, Shirley Verrett was to sing the role of Cassandre. But Christa Ludwig took ill, and in a great save-the-day effort, Shirley Verrett sang both roles in the same evening, Cassandre in La Prise de Troyes, and then Didon in the second part, Les Troyens à Carthage. In the early 90s, she repeated the role of Didon at the opening of the Opéra Bastille in Paris. And guess who sang the role of Cassandre? Grace Bombry. Interestingly, Verrett's tenure in Paris had begun a few years earlier when, between the years of 1983 and 1986, she lived with her family in Paris, where she was, in effect, the prima donna of the Opéra de Paris before the opening of the Bastille. Some of her roles there included Sinaide in Rossini's Moïse et Pharaon, the French version of Cherubini's Médée, Gluck's Iphigenie en Tauride, (laughs) 
her most impressive assumption was the title role of Alceste in Robert Wilson's production of the opera in 1985. It's interesting to note here the link with Jesse Norman, whose collaborations with Robert Wilson were discussed in last week's episode. I'm particularly happy to include excerpts of some of these appearances in Paris in the Falcon roles because they represent an aspect of her art that is perhaps less known to those who remember her, primarily as a bel cantista and a Verdi singer. different roles that she took on. Celica in L'Africaine of Meyerbeer, which she sang brilliantly in San Francisco in two different productions there. Horse Carmen, a role in which she made some of her most important debuts and in which she created a lasting impact. She also was celebrated as Dalila in the Sanson et Dalila. Oh, 
There are some distinct advantages to being your own boss. You can make executive decisions all over the place if you feel like it. I am nowhere near done talking about Shirley Verrett. So I have made the executive decision that this particular episode is going to continue in two weeks after the first part of my interview with my dear friend Janet Williams. first appeared as Lady Macbeth at La Scala in 1976. The Italian press dubbed her La Nera Callas, the Black Callas. It's an interesting assessment. She certainly was a supreme actor, and we've just listened to a little snippet of her singing Dalila. If one wants to see an example of her supreme acting ability, it's not something that I can convey to you on the podcast. justly famous 1981 production of Sanson et Dalila done at Covent Garden starring John Vickers and Shirley Verrett. There is a clip of Shirley singing Mon Coeur S'ouvre ta voix, the big, well, it's actually a love duet of sorts. Sort of love, sort of a duet. What's fascinating is watching her as Vickers sings his lines. She remains fixated upon him in an apparently amorous gaze. But when she knows that he's not watching her, her face is transformed into something that reveals her true intention. You just gotta see this. Once again, don't forget to visit my notes page, countermelodypodcast.com, especially this week, which will contain a profusion of YouTube clips to the marvelous performances that we've been discussing today. Thanks, as always, to Alan Segal for his beautiful underscoring, to Steve Robinson for his technical and artistic assistance in the production of this podcast, and to you, my wonderful listeners. I look forward to greeting you again next week.
until then, my friends, keep the song in your hearts. I'm Daniel Gundlach.